using that later in the service this evening. It's always a delight to come together to offer worship unto the God of heaven, to appreciate the blessing of not only our spiritual family, but certainly friends, neighbors, and family members of our physical character that have come be with us. Always delighted and so happy that we can, in fact, appreciate those blessings from God. As you probably have already noticed in the bulletin, we're going to be giving some attention this evening to a, the shortest book in the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah. Cale read from that book just a moment ago, and let me encourage you to be turning to that, to that little Old Testament book, and for the next few moments, let's highlight some of the features and the great lessons that might be appreciated from that small little book. This next slide is one that I hope would set before us some of the appreciation that might be attached to not only this book, but of course all the others as well. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, on that occasion it was our Lord who Himself said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And surely, as much as that would attach to the New Testament books, we understand the blessing that often comes from a recollection of those Old Testament ones as well. The book of Obadiah. You may notice, nextly on that slide, of the 39 Old Testament books, this is the shortest. It has but one chapter. The 21 verses to be found in this book are nonetheless things that the Holy Spirit has seen fit to put before you and me, and we're delighted tonight to give some reflection upon them. Over the course of our months here, we have looked at a number of particular books in the Bible. We've looked at series on Ezekiel, on Zechariah, on Colossians, on Revelation, as well as a few others. But tonight, what about the book of Obadiah? You'll notice about the end of that slide. Although the book is short, it is nonetheless filled with things that are beneficial and helpful, and I hope to uncover along with you a few of those things this evening. The next slide will be one in which I would ask you to consider. We're going to break the book down into just a very small number of sections. The first two verses will help us appreciate the background of the book. I'd like to read those two verses and then devote some attention to appreciating that background. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Immediately you and I can appreciate a few things. Would you note with me from verse number 1 that the subject, the people who are the object, if you please, of this prophecy are the people of Edom. The little book of Obadiah is centered around a message directed primarily to those individuals, the Edomites. You may notice at the top, those Edomites occupy a rather interesting place in the history of the Old Testament. Perhaps it would be wise for you and me to develop that at least briefly. Perhaps we should begin in the following way. You and I well remember the Israelites were primarily the people that occupy center stage in the Old Testament. Those Israelites, the children of Abraham through Jacob. But we mustn't forget that Jacob had a brother, a brother named Esau. And in fact, that brother was actually older than Jacob. But it is true that that brother Esau often made choices that were rather foolish. It was he, after all, who chose to sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. 
that, of course, recorded for us in Genesis 25. But even beyond that, you notice that there were a large number of people who descended through Esau. Those people were known as Edomites. May I ask you to recollect that on the occasion of the birth of those two boys, Jacob and Esau, the older one, Esau, the one that was born first, he was called Edom at that time because he came out red and hairy all over. And that word Edom has the thought behind it of red. And so the Edomite peoples, they were named after their progenitor, the man named Esau. Furthermore, you'll note this. The brothers didn't always get along very well. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes brothers today don't always get along as well as we might hope and that we might like. On this occasion, we remember they were rather different. Esau was a man of the field. He liked to hunt. But on the other hand, Jacob was an indoors man. He was a plain man. There seemed to be quite a bit of tension between them. That tension perhaps was even highlighted to their mother while, in fact, those babes were still in her womb. It was the God of heaven who revealed to her that there would be two nations in her. And in fact, the elder would serve the younger. That kind of tension, you see, often developed and ultimately they hated one another to the point where you might recall Jacob was sent a far distance away. I would use this moment, though, to say this. They did seemingly at least make a degree of concord later in their life, but that is not true of the peoples who descended from them. The Israelites and the Edomites didn't get along very well at all. Look at just this principal set of ideas. You might recall with me, taken from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and following, God on that occasion affirmed and made the statement, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now that didn't mean that God overtly hated him in the sense of malice and hatred. It just meant that he chose Jacob to be the one through whom the seed line, the Christ child, would come. And that choice was not, of course, given to the people of Esau. But in addition to that, in Genesis 25, verses 23 and following, again, that tension that developed when Esau chose to sell his birthright. And yet another example, in Genesis 25, verses 29 and following, the character of what would come of the family heritage. Maybe one last thing. The family blessing was ultimately taken from Esau because Jacob tricked him. All of that led to a degree of animosity between those brothers. That animosity spilled over into the peoples as well. May I call to your attention in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 and following, as the children of Israel were journeying toward the land of Canaan, they needed to pass by or at least had desire to pass through a section of Edomite territory. And they asked the Edomites, let us pass. We will not harm your land. We won't take any water or food. We'll just simply pass through. And the Edomites said, no. If you so much as set a foot here, we're going to come out against you with swords and staves. Do you hear do you feel the tension that existed between them? That leads me to say this. There will be some more details about that tension later in the lesson tonight, but at least we've set the stage for the background. God delivered a prophecy through the prophet Obadiah, and that prophecy was directed to the Edomites. 
let's begin in the next verse and see what it had to say. As we move toward that, I thought I would share with you this map, at least highlighting the territory of Edom. May I invite you to note the large section at the bottom of that map. The territory of Edom was below the territory of Israel, you see, but it bordered it to the south. And this territory, and you'll notice Petra was primarily the capital city, and there will be much said about it in some of the features of our passages tonight. But beyond the character of those Edomites and that territory, let's look at verses 3 to 9. As the prophet has some things to say, his first directed message to the Edomites is this. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would not... Would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom? and understanding out of the mount of Esau. And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. It's difficult to miss the strength and the directness of this message. God equipped Obadiah with a message of destruction and doom against the Edomites. And did you note verse 3? Here's the first element of the reason why. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. The Edomites were a very arrogant and prideful people. Some of the ideas on that slide will develop that using the ideas of the Old Testament. The idea perhaps could begin like this. Did you note the text helps us understand the background? Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock... That map I showed you a moment ago that lists the area of Edom. Although the northern part of that is somewhat flat and at least a little bit desertous, the southern part, part is very mountainous. The Edomites took a great amount of pride as they dwelled in those rocks and those mountains. Because you see, some of the very places they dwell look like that. And some of them were perched high in the mountains and therefore they would do this. They had their dwelling places in these rocks and as enemy nations would come against them, they had to pass through these rock-ribbed corridors and the Edomites would wait on those rocky cliffs and of course the enemy was an easy target because the Edomites were above them. They could cast arrows and rocks and things down upon them and no nation to this point had been able to defeat them. Mighty, strong, well fortified in these rocks and in these mountains. In fact, to this day, you may appreciate that these are actual pictures of Petra and the areas of the ancient Edomites. They considered themselves invincible. They considered themselves undefeatable. 
No one to this point had been able to do it. Isn't it interesting in light of that, however, God directly says to them in verse number 4, Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, I will bring thee down. Despite the fact they lived in those rocky places, and despite the fact that they had to that point been undefeated, God says, I'll bring you down. Their might and their pride would be unable to withstand the onslaught of the judgment of God. And isn't it interesting, in the next couple of verses, God even gives some examples. He points out that if robbers were to come to the nation of Edom, they'd leave something. A few years ago when our house was broken into, you know, robbers took some things, but they didn't take everything. They left behind things they didn't consider valuable. Well, here God says, I'm telling you what, Edom. If robbers come, even they'd leave something, but I'm not going to leave anything. I'm going to absolutely and utterly destroy this place you call home. Look at the next verse. Grape gathers in verse 5. When people gather grapes out of, a, out of a vineyard, even inadvertently they will drop a grape or two and leave something. God says, I'm not going to leave anything. One can only imagine then the great judgment of God in light of the choices that the Edomites had made and the pride that filled their heart, even thinking that they were above God and they certainly were above the children of Israel. As we go back to that previous slide and continue some of those thoughts on it, you may notice that verse number 8 leads us to note the following, Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord? Do you notice it's God's judgment that's being declared that I will destroy the wise men out of Edom. History records, and the Old Testament does as well in Ezekiel 35, that the people of Edom, in their arrogance, they thought they were better than the children of Israel. They thought that the Israelites were inferior to them. And they exalted themselves, and in a pride of arrogance, they kind of looked down upon God's people. God here through the prophet Obadiah says, judgment will come because, among other things, of that kind of attitude. One last thing on that slide, of course, is the application of that principle for you and me today. Oh, how dangerous undue pride can be. Oh, how challenging it can be. When you and I think that we're above the declaration of God, when we think that we're so much better than others, we're in dangerous territory. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, we have there four things that God says, I hate. And two of the four are arrogancy and pride. Improper pride, undue appreciation of exalting ourselves above that which would be a proper thing. Later on in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 18, we notice pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. To that we might add Proverbs 21, wherein the statement in verses 5 and following remind us about one more time that of the things that God looks so horribly upon is a proud look and that kind of behavior in which we think of ourselves above the consideration of others. In the New Testament, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, as He gave a listing about various and sundry activities and sins, He said, let me tell you what defiles a man. It's not what goes in. 
Now, the Jews were a bit troubled because they were eating without washed hands, and yet Jesus said, you need to understand that what comes out of a man, because it emanates out of his heart, that's what will defile him. Jesus lists some of the things you're talking about. Pride, it's what the Lord said. And therefore, you and I must always strive for humility, understanding that how often texts like Colossians 3.12 says, it's humbleness of mind is what our Lord looks upon with favor. The excitement that comes from Romans 12 verse 3 reminds us that it was the wisdom of Paul who asserted, I will that men not think of themselves above that which they ought. God has blessed each of us with a station, a consideration of talents and capabilities, and may we strive with humility to use them to the service of our great God in heaven. James made this statement in James 4 verse 6, God resisteth the proud, but He giveth, giveth grace to the humble. It surely must be a frightening thing to have God resist you. And yet there James said He resists those that are proud. May I say that the Edomites, among other things, teach us about that lesson, doesn't it? But we aren't finished because verse number 9 and verse number 10 take us to the next section of the chapter. In verses 10 through 16, we have the next element, the next lesson, touching the old ancient Edomites. I suppose there will be elements in this set of verses that may be very shocking. Let's listen as the prophet had these words to say. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger, Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been." How strong is God's judgment against the people of Edom? Notice quickly some of the things about their nature and their character and their activity. Verse number 10, a violent people, but not violence in general, violence against the people of God. Verse number 10, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob. The people of Edom had been violent against the very people of Israel. And one of the things that God judged him for was that animosity and that hatred and those actions. I would ask you to notice several of the Old Testament particulars of that violence and that hatred. 
In Psalm 137, verse number 7, the people of Edom cried out, raise it, raise it. That's not R-A-I-S-E, it's R-A-S-E. It means destroy it. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies were in fact attacking Jerusalem, the Edomites were sitting by clapping and encouraging the Babylonians on, destroy Jerusalem. They couldn't wait to see it destroyed. God says, for that kind of violence and that kind of hatred, I'm going to do to you the same thing that you did to them. Look at the next example in Ezekiel 35, verse number 10. There the prophet said that when the Babylonians were taken away, the Israelites, the Edomites were waiting to occupy the very land of Canaan that God had given to the people of Israel. They were wanting that land for themselves. Next example, in Obadiah, verses 11 and 13, you notice there the statement, when the foreigners came and took away the people of Israel, several things the Edomites did. Let me invite you to notice several of them. In verse number 12, they spoke proudly on the day that Jerusalem was captured. The Edomites were standing by cheering on the Babylonians, Verse number 13, the Edomites entered into the gates of Jerusalem. They helped the Babylonians defeat the children of Israel. You and I ought to take careful note of this. Esau helped in the defeat of his own brother on that occasion. Look at verse number 13 again. In the day of their calamity, in the day of their affliction, the Edomites helped them. Look at verse 14. The Edomites stood in the crossway and kept God's people from fleeing Jerusalem. Can you imagine it? The Babylonians had come and some of the Israelites had managed to get out of the city and at least try to escape and the Edomites were there blocking their escape and would not let them flee. God says, for all that violence and all that hatred, I'm going to do to you the same thing you did to them. The pronouncement against Edom was stern and it was absolute, wasn't it? As you and I close that slide, doesn't it remind us about the biblical teaching of the evil that relates to hatred? In 1 John 3 verse 15, you and I today are reminded, if we hate somebody, we've committed murder. The Lord likens them in a very similar and powerful way. He that hateth his brother is a murderer. That's strong language. It's no wonder that we, being those who love the Lord, are people of love, aren't we? We even love our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, as that chapter closes, there Jesus said, even those that despitefully use you, even those who hate you, you still try to love them. You still act in their best interest. How often our Savior, how often our Master taught about the elements and the attribute of love. And certainly the Edomites, they were people of hatred. The nature of that part, taking us to verse number 16, helps us see that we are left with one final section of the chapter. And at that point, the grandeur of the book of Obadiah will have drawn to its close. I would use this point, though, to say this. Isn't it a rather common theme in the prophets of the Old Testament? They often pronounce God's judgment, and they often pronounce His visitation of doom upon those who chose to disobey Him. 
but invariably they hold out the element of hope for a remnant. To those who will turn in repentance to God, things will turn out well and things will turn out finally. The book of Obadiah ends that same way. In verses 17 to 21, this book closes with these remarkable words. The first word of verse 17 is but, and you might take note, that's a, tra- a contrast. And now it says, But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. I'm sure all of us thrill at the thought of deliverance and the thought of victory that's etched within those verses. Whereas Edom will be destroyed, and those that choose to rebel against God... Verse number 17 says, Mount Zion shall be delivered. This passage, and you and I shall speak much about it over the next few moments. May I suggest that the greatest fulfillment of this marvelous prophecy in Obadiah is found in the life and times and the blessing of Jesus Christ. And that would, of course, would occur hundreds of years later, and you and I still today enjoy it. Let's fill in some of those details like this. Verse number 18 highlights that whereas Esau and the Edomites, due to God's judgment, will be destroyed, there is great deliverance for God's people. Now you and I today are the Israelites of the New Testament era. Galatians 6 verses 16 and following dictate that you and I today are the Israel of God. We are the church. And as such, we're the great beneficiaries and those that receive the great promised blessing of God. We are the children of Abraham by faith. Galatians 3 verses 28 and 29 still say, You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. But you're all the children of God by faith. And notice, you're all the children of Abraham. We're all Abraham's seed if we're those who are of faith. To that might we add this. It is true that there would be a time when those people of God that had just been taken captivity by the Babylonians, they'd be blessed to come back and re-inhabit Jerusalem. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell us about that. But may I say, many of the particulars of these verses weren't fulfilled then. The verses alone indicate that as you can see on that slide, God had already asserted a dramatic promise. Daniel 2.44, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And you and I today still enjoy 
the enduring kingdom of the church. Did you note verse 21 of Obadiah? The kingdom shall be the Lord's. May I suggest that appears to be a reference to that great kingdom of God today of which you and I are a part. And later in Revelation eleven fifteen, a reference to that appears to be given. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. What great victory. Obadiah saw all of this. How encouraging it must have been to the people of that day who were faithful to God to hear the last five verses of this book. How terrible it must have been for the Edomites to feel the wrath of God's judgment. Surely in light of all those things, it brings us to close our lesson and to do so in one concluding set of thoughts. We have looked briefly tonight at the only one chapter book in the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah. As we've done that, we've been reminded of God's judgment upon the unfaithful. We have noticed His visitation for the wrath and hatred of that people. But we've also noticed His strong word of promise to the faithful. Today, I know you and I are thankful to be amongst that latter number. We look forward to the day of judgment wherein God's judgment will be poured out in great favor upon His children, the children of God by faith. If tonight there's anyone in this audience and you're not a child of God by faith, you're not living faithfully to His cause, I hope that you'll think with urgency and with a sense of great desire of wishing to be what God would want you to be. Jesus died on an old rugged cross that you might one day go to heaven, but He won't make you go. He won't make any of us. It has to be what we want. And we must live faithfully until death. Revelation 2 verse number 10. If you have become a Christian but aren't faithful tonight, let the book of Obadiah be a reminder that God will judge those who choose to rebel against Him. But oh, what a message of promise He has for the faithful. Don't you want to be amongst that number? If we could be then of help to you in coming back to your first love tonight, we'd love to do that. If you would love to become a Christian, though, having never enjoyed the blessing and benefit of it, you must believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. Tonight, Obadiah, though an Old Testament book, brings to our appreciation the great truths of this point. And doesn't it help us see how sweetly God has looked with favor upon bringing Jesus into the world through this people of Israel, not through the Edomites, and that all of us today enjoy the blessing through the great Christ. Tonight, if we could be of help, we want you to come. We urge you to do it. For together we stand in what we sing.